This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and with me is Dan from Shares. Hi. So this week we're joined by Ian from Shares 2. Hi guys. And we're going to cover an overhaul to overdraft charges, robots in retail, falling FTSE earnings and how to invest in football. And first of this week, the financial regulator has announced plans to change how banks are allowed to charge for overdrafts. So Laura, what do these changes mean? So the FCA, the regulator, said this is the biggest overhaul for a generation to overdraft charges. Um, And I think maybe lots of people kind of dismiss overdraft charges as not being that expensive, but some of the unarranged overdraft fees can be 10 times more expensive than payday loan interest. Crikey, is it? No, and so the regulators crack down massively, particularly on unplanned overdraft charges, so where you accidentally go overdrawn rather than you have a function available um, where you can you kind of have a pre-approved overdraft. Um, and so it said that banks now can't pay fixed daily or monthly fees for these. They have to pay a simple, they have to charge, sorry, a simple interest rate um, and they have to advertise that interest rate quite clearly so that people can compare them. And I think the regulator's hoping further down the line that there'll be more kind of digital comparison tools so people can compare what they're actually paying on overdrafts. And when does all this change happen? So it comes into place April next year. So you've got a while to wait. But what I thought was interesting, so um, in 2017, which was the last data that the regulator had, banks made £2.4 billion from overdrafts. £2.4 billion? Yeah. And 30% of that was from unplanned overdraft fees. And it's amazing how much the kind of small pocket of the customer base accounts for those fees. So half of those fees come from just 1.5% of customer base. That's extraordinary. It is. So banks' banks earnings could be under a lot of pressure. I knew you'd think of this. Yet more pressure on earnings. And there is an element where people are saying that while unarranged overdraft fees are going to come back come down um some obviously are thinking that the banks have got to find this revenue from somewhere else and so yep. overall overdraft fees might come up or planned overdraft fees might come up or they might look for money elsewhere or they could just do the good thing and stomach the stomach the loss and move yeah, on with their yeah. lives i mean people talk quite often about banks charging for current accounts um and it's sort of and, it, and every time sort of they talk about you're taking something away, they've got to replace that lost mm. revenue. They, you know, this is it's an obvious way to do it. At other countries, you're used to paying a small fee for it. It never seems to sort of happen. They seem no, it's to, never caught on, is it? So maybe maybe this is going to happen again. We'll see. I don't well, know. This is interesting yeah. from the FCA because this is completely consistent with all the other things they're introducing. You know, they're looking really at insurance policies and they keep mentioning the phrase vulnerable customers. Mm. And so you're one and a half percent are obviously the vulnerable customers mm. who are getting hit every time. They go into overdraft, they're getting hammered for it. Yeah, and they're more likely, that um, group of customers are more likely to come from deprived areas. Yeah. And yeah. Citizens Advice has said overdrafts is one of the big areas where people call them up about and, and have debt problems arising from it. Um, but the FCA did shop, stop short of having a cap on the fees. So it hasn't gone as far as some people maybe wanted it to, but I guess it also leaves the ability for them to do that in the future if these measures, once they're introduced and have bedded in, don't go far enough. Yeah, I mean, the FCA has talked about treating customers fairly for a very long time, mm. but it, it really does feel like they're, they're, they're finally taking action on so much stuff. 
Uh, it might just be because we, we write about finance stuff and we're always monitoring these things. But it does feel like um, they are finally making it better for the consumer, which is you know ultimately what should happen, shouldn't it? Particularly with a lot of these high cost areas. So they've also been cracking down on things like the rent to own space and um, payday lenders. They're now also looking at cryptocurrencies, um, which obviously isn't debt, but it's kind of those areas where, like Ian says, more vulnerable group of customers are likely to be hit by it. So yeah, I think it's encouraging. They just need to look at queues in banks. I'd love to be able to just go to a bank and not have to spend three hours waiting for Who something. Who goes to a bank yeah, anymore? Just I do it on an app. Do it online. So old school, Deb. <laughs> <laughs> I did, well, do you know what? Today, I had to I had to write a cheque and I thought I'd sort of show some of my younger colleagues and sort of say, have you ever seen a chequebook before? I saw just out of curiosity, but, but we'll see. I'll do it after this, see what I say. <laughs> God, you keep your staff intact, yeah. don't you? <laughs> So we talk a lot about the retail sector and we've talked about it a lot, the problems that have been ongoing on the high street. But Dan, you've been looking at how robots and artificial intelligence can help retailers. So are we going to get robotic shop assistants? Please, that's yes, what I want. Yeah, oh, you know, it's, please, it's, that'll no. take me back to the high street. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there, there is an example of someone that... Um, in Lowe's in the States has got the low bot. So it's a robot <laughs> that can actually, you go into That's shop. That's worth it for the name of yeah. <laughs> And uh, you, you want some help trying to find the right part of the shop and it'll sort of point you in the right direction. I don't know, maybe it'll accompany you. Uh, that would be amazing, oh, wouldn't great. it? Um, but no, there's so much stuff going retail. So we, we always, we talk about retail as being difficult place. High street is dead. Um, every day there's some really bad news. But actually, if you dig under the surface, there's loads of companies doing some very cool stuff. Um, so this is the idea that they're using technologies, artificial intelligence, something called deep learning or sort of machine learning. Um, they're trying to understand a bit more about you. They, they want you to get, continue to spend. Um, they want to help you with the sort of selection process, make their own business more efficient, and you know ultimately know know more about you. I don't know. When, so when has anyone? Um, so, Ian or Laurie, when you've been shopping recently, has anyone asked you for your email address when oh, you've yeah, made that purchase? This is my biggest irritation, and mm -hmm. then they just spam you with marketing. So I always say, no, I want a printout. But now that's bad for the environment because I'm generating, but I just don't know what to do. Well, I've noticed it as well. I, I, was, I went to buy something from Halfords the other day, and they said and it was five yeah, quid. Yeah, they said, yeah, they want to oh, email you the yeah, receipts. Yeah, yeah, can we email? That was it. Can we email you receipts? Like, yep. no, you can just hand me the receipt on a nice bit of paper um, and so what, of course what they're doing they're trying to they want to know more about you because this thing about with, with retailers historically they they're sort of the things that they've tried to monitor are footfall into their shops and the you know the average size of a basket that you're spending but didn't really tell you anything about the person so what, what they want to do is find out um, ultimately is there a, a small group of people who are shopping with them who contribute the most amount of revenue. So if they can find this magic group of people, they can perhaps then you know, either give personalised offers or just do something a bit more to perhaps tailor their offering really towards this, the, the, the ultimate people. So I guess having your email address and then each time you go in, it's almost like you're doing the online shopping in the shop. They know everything about you. And that is the ultimate goal. But it, like I say, it's a bit of a privacy invasion, I think. But is that anything new? Because isn't that why store cards came about? The store loyalty cards where then you use it each time and they can chart up exactly what you're buying and see patterns in the fact that someone that buys bananas will also buy 
I can't. Oh think no, of definitely. I mean, something else. But yeah. Tesco has always been the best at that. Uh, well, historically, they were the best at it. But I think there's loads of companies that don't. They collect the data, but they don't analyze it. But we're now in this world where um, you've lo- got to know who your customer is now. Yeah, exactly. So I think that you know, I think that there's. There's lots of companies that are guilty of not not sitting on it, you yeah. know, not not analysing it. So I think that they will. This will happen. But now you, I guess you've got computers that can do that analytics for you. Whereas previously, ten years ago or whatever, it might have been a case of a team of people kind of sifting through a lot of that data. Whereas now, I guess you've got these clever computer systems where you just bung all this data in and it yep. tells yep, you who absolutely. your customers are. Yeah. There's so, um, there's a there's a a few of the software programs that um, I remember going to a quant presentation and they were showing how scraping data, anonymized sales data from lots of online shopping sites um, and um, and comparing it with Amazon was kind of a way of predicting what Amazon's sales were going to be and it was a remarkably effective way of pre- predicting what Amazon's quarterly revenues and earnings were going to be just by gathering all this data from lots of different sites including Amazon to see whether the trend was a rising, falling, yeah. and so on. So this idea of gathering data is not new, but it's always been anonymized. What you're talking about, Dan, is actually getting to know the customer and you know using that to then target the customer. And I think there's, I mean, there's some really, really good examples of companies that are doing very interesting things. So um, ASOS, obviously an online company, mm. but they they're doing things like they're using machine learning so that they can look at. Um, analyzed everything that you bought with them in the past and return and then they can sort of make bespoke sizing recommendations um, you can also use its app and you can just talk to it so th- there's a good example you could sort of say to them I, I want to stock up on layers um, show me some bomber jackets and then they'll, the, the system will automatically show on your phone everything that he thinks is suitable for this sort of stuff um, and it's like if you actually go into some uh, shops on the high street some retailers are now looking at digital mirrors. I don't know if you've seen this thing where no. you can stand in front of a mirror and you don't actually have to try any clothes on, but you can sort of say, what do you want to try? And they'll almost like superimpose the selection in front of you in the, in the mirror so you can see what it looks like. I mean, that that's that sounds great because I hate changing rooms in shops. So yeah. I, that, that might take me back. So, so which one did you go for, Dan? Which bomber <laughs> jacket did you go for? <laughs> nice 70s blues on style, I hope. <laughs> in the professional style. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you've got um, Sephora doing things like um, finding the sort of perfect makeup uh, shade where you don't actually put anything on your face. They scan your face and they give you personalised recommendations. Olay's got this personalised skincare treatment, so you don't have to go and see a dermatologist. Um, all you have to do is sort of take a selfie and their app will look at um, sort of the age of your skin and evaluate its health and then make sort of recommendations. So, I mean, this is this is the way that retail is going. I think it's, it's quite interesting. Even Walmart, um, so that if, you, if you're not quite familiar with it, you know, they're massive in America. They own Asda in this country. So in the States, they've got loads of cameras around their stores and they're sort of um, using the, sort of the technology to constantly monitor the shelves and, and check up on stock, um, see if anything needs replenishing. And they've even got things like um, monitoring bananas. So, you know, if they turn a certain shade, they know that they, they've got to go and replace them rather than sort of a human having to go and sort of sniff all the bananas or see if they're all got sort of nice... You know, the the robot comes out and snatches all the bananas. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think it's really good. And so, Laura, you just moved house, haven't you? So do you, do you, you should get the IKEA app because they've got this thing where you can... Um, 
say you want to put, you think, oh, I've got an, it's a nice corner of the room there. I wonder what a chair would look like there if I bought it. So you hold up the app in front of the, the corner of the room and it will superimpose the chair that you might mm, want to buy um, and as, as if it was in the room. Mm. Um, I think this is augmented reality. Yeah, so. and I've seen that for interior design stuff as well. So you can pick wallpapers and then you take a picture of your room from different angles and you can see what the wallpaper would look like in different lighting and stuff. It's very smart. That's yeah. very cool. And it means I don't have to leave my house. Yeah, this is... <laughs> I can decorate the entire house and not leave my bed. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, all this all this comes at a cost, doesn't it? So the, in, companies are going to have to invest loads of money to yeah, make sure they've got yeah. the cutting edge. And you know, from an investing perspective, what's the one thing the stock market hates? When companies spend money. Mm. They, they the, you know, Investors like things like job cuts. They want... you know. Uh, savings cost savings but this is spending money so whilst the the long-term benefits of spending here could be really really good i don't know whether investors have got such a short-term mentality they're just going to go huh why are you spending all this because we've seen it with plenty of companies the last few years they announce big spending plans to make the business better more competitive and the share price falls. But, but surely you've got to offer things like this, a, either really know your customers or offer kind of more quirky in-store things to actually get people back in your stores. Otherwise, what's the benefit of shopping there versus going online and doing it all there? Absolutely. And I think they've got no... Literally, retailers have no choice but to go down this route because mm. um, if they can if they can get it to work and they learn more about the customers, mm. I mean, that's, that's just... A, that really is amazing for them. Mm. Um but yeah, we'll see. Them. Well, the secret of every great business is, of course, repeat custom. Yeah. So if they can know their customers and offer them exactly what they want, I mean, none of no two customers are the same. But you know, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of data to crunch. But if you get it right, yeah, the stakes are really high. Mm. So Ian's come on the podcast this week to talk about the FTSE 100. Um, now the index is almost up 10% this year, but there's actually been a bit of a trend of falling earnings among quite a lot of the companies. So. Th- you may be a bit surprised to hear the, the names that are, are perhaps not as doing so well as you think. So, Ian, tell us all. Well, Dan, um, yeah, well, I mean, we know the market's chip rate's up 10% this year, but it's still cheap relative to its history, and it's relative relative to Europe and the US. Um, yeah, we keep showing this in charts. You know, ev- every month we've got a chart and they show how cheap the UK is, and fund managers telling us how cheap the UK is. So the question for me is, it's cheap, but... Are we getting any growth for that? Now, what's the earnings growth? And the earnings growth for FTSE is about 12 13% a year at the moment. That's the projection for this year and next year. Now, what's really interesting is when you dig into the FTSE, go under the bonnet, there's some big stocks in there that aren't growing earnings anything like that fast, and they're on similar multiples to the market. So the question is, you know, what are we paying and what should we be paying for these things? Um, so... Big index stocks with a surprisingly poor track record of earnings. Uh, unfortunately, HSBC, top of the pile. Um, in our sample, it's got the worst 10-year track record. Destroyed earnings at a rate of 23% a year for 10 years. Well, this must be um, a kind of a shock to lots of people because, you know, we see HSBCs all over the UK and, you know, we see it across Asia. Um, very strong, big you know, you're a seemingly reliable business. So why is it? What's going on? It's, it's a cyclical business. Yeah. You know, and obviously we had to. Uh, well, we're out of the crisis, so we're not comparing it with um, the very worst of the crisis, 2007, 2008. But I guess you're still getting the aftermath of the crisis and write-offs and so on. Uh, they had a US business, so they would have taken write-downs on that. 
Um, the U- UK mortgage market, I keep saying this, the UK mortgage market is not a great place to be. Witness Tesco deciding that they're not going to lend anymore in the market and they're actually going to flog their back book of mortgages. So that's Tesco Bank, isn't it? So part Tesco part Bank, yeah. Tesco's um, pulling out of that bit of the market. Um, as I say, you know, 23% decline in earnings annually over the last 10 years. And in the last five years, it's got worse. It's almost 40% annual fall in earnings. Um, and it's still on 11 times earnings, which surprises me. So what, what, so for people who are not quite sure about these multiples, what, what's, right. you know, what's an, a normal earnings multiple should you expect from a, a sort of a large company, do you think? So let's say uh, a stock's on 10 times earnings. It means it's just going to take you 10 years for the company to pay you out in earnings the price you've just paid for those shares. Yeah. Now, the average multiple for the FTSE is 16 times. So you'd be waiting 16 years. Now, fair enough. For, uh, HSBC's on 11 times it's not on the same rating as the rest of the market but I would argue that it shouldn't even be on 11 times given how badly it's done uh, it's track record of um, generating or not generating earnings but it's not alone I mean look at Vodafone you know uh, over 10 years its earnings have gone down 15% a year and again like HSBC it's got worse in the last five years it's um, down 24% a year and it's on 15 times earnings uh, that some that just doesn't ring true with me. I don't understand why we should be paying almost a market multiple. There's another whopper in here of St James's Place, which has got minus seven percent, but then it's also on almost twenty three times earnings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention that, Laura. But <laughs> <laughs> well, this is so. This is the market. Is sort of um, well, when I say the market, I mean the group of collectively investors who in the in the stock market prepared to pay a high price for what they think could be a growing company in the future, I presume. This is what this is. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, you've got some stocks that used to have positive earnings that looked very good, and then the last five years that's changed. So um, Astra is a good example. Again, big index name. Um, last five years, however, earnings have been negative, shrunk by 7% a year. You're paying 22 times earnings. So that's a big premium to the market so average. So does that mean people are paying for past glory or they're kind of paying on the assumption that they're still making, these companies are still I making the earnings they, they made I think they haven't previously. adjusted their expectations. I think that they're still making the money that they used to make. Why have earnings shrunk over the last five years? Presumably through lack of new drugs coming through. You know, poor pipeline. It's not a cyclical business as such. Mm. Not like banking or construction. Um, so uh, another one, I mean, this is cyclical, Rolls-Royce. You know, over 10 years, earnings were um, up 8%. Over five years, down 24% a year. And that's on a ridiculous 39 times mm. earnings. Now, in fairness, it's a long way from its 10-year high because that was one of the other metrics we brought in and said, are these things trading anywhere near their highs? No, it's, it's a long way from its high. Um, Astra is actually less than 10% away from its 10-year high, even though it's got this poor earnings record and it's on a high multiple. Uh, Rolls clearly... A very cyclical business, huge competitive pressures in the defence industry as well, and they've had the odd fine for you know uh, misconduct. Mm. Let's say so. A low, uh, lower earnings or, or decreasing earnings per share is, is that a sign that investors should sell or should think about selling? I think they ought to think about the PEs they're prepared to pay for these. Things. So the T- price to earnings ratio. Price to earnings ratio. Typically, if something's got a high earnings growth rate, if you can compound earnings at twenty percent or more a year. You know, good for you. I mean, that deserves a premium rating to the rest of the market. You should be on 20 to 30 times earnings. But if you're actually shrinking your earnings by 20% a year, 
why are we paying 15% or in some cases, you know, 30, 40, uh, 40 times earnings rather? Um, strikes me as odd. You've got those among the the, uh, the ones that had destroyed earnings because we had about a dozen stocks with a negative 10-year mm. growth rate. There are some of them that historically were bad boys and have actually in the last five years come good. And one I've mentioned is Barclays, which, you know, if HSBC's earnings trend has got worse in the last five years, Barclays has got better. And is that because are they, are they, they, they're making changes to their business? Is that because they've sold off... Like the bad stuff, and you know, what they're left is of higher quality. It's that's a very good question. I think we've got to look a lot closer at what's going on with Barclays. What I can tell you is that the investment bank, which has been the uh, in the eye of the storm uh, with activists, you know, saying they should get rid of it, is actually performing very well. It's performing better than that West Markets, mm. uh, part of Royal Bank of Scotland, and it's performing better than HSBCs. You know, just looking at the numbers. Um, that bit of the business is actually okay. And that's a big bit of Barclays as well. That's a big contributor to earnings. Um, yeah, so it's gone from losing money at a rate of 29% a year, uh, of earnings contracting at 29% a year 10 years ago, they're growing at 6% a year now, but it's on seven times earnings. It's more than 60% below its 10-year high. The market's just shrugged its shoulders. Mm. I'm not interested. BT is another one. You know, I'm not a huge fan of BT, but earnings were contracting at 17% a year 10 years ago. They're now shrinking at just 1% a year. It's on eight times, and it's also 60% below its 10-year high. So we don't, people don't seem to be interested in paying up for these things, although they're cheap and earnings are, you know, no longer shrinking or even growing, yet they're still paying premium multiples, in the case of Astra Rolls, for stocks where earnings are shrinking. Yeah. It's just a very, you know, odd market we're in at the moment. And, um, you know, so the value, value people out there, they know where to look for these things. Um, and uh, I mean, we've also done the ones with the highest earnings growth rates. There are one or two here that will surprise you. So um, are there some bargains among those ones? High earnings growth rates, yeah. I think the house builders really stand out. I mean, they're growing earnings. The last five years, Persimmon and Barclay have been growing earnings by nearly 30% a year. They're on seven times earnings and eight and a half times earnings. Is, is it, so presumably, is that because um, the investors are now worried about where next for the property exactly, market? Yeah. So these house builders have made masses of big profits. Yeah. They would have benefited from the how-to-buy scheme. Yeah. Um, you know they're sitting on lots of money that they can they can afford to pay very big dividends. But um, I guess you know anyone listening to this podcast who perhaps is is not as experienced with investing as um, other people must understand that the stock market is, is forward looking. It's always about pricing in what mm. you think will happen in the future. It's not not about looking at the past. So. Um, when you look at a company and you look at its valuation metrics, such as the P-E ratio, um, you must always think that you need to get hold of forecast data, don't look mm. at historic, to really get true understanding about what the market is thinking. Mm -mm. I mean, in, in, in all these cases, we are looking at 12-month forward forecast earnings yeah. um, when we're using our multiple. Now, I take your point. I mean, I think the house builders are deeply cyclical. We know they are. And although they may have 30% earnings growth over you know, the last five years and 15, 20% growth over 10 years, it, it is very lumpy. And there'll be years when they've made losses and then there'll be years when they've made huge gains. And people just don't pay up for those kind of businesses, I guess. 
But you've got Kingspan, which is a building materials supplier, that um, has grown earnings by about 20% over the last 10 years, per year over the last 10 years. It's on 23 times earnings. So it's on you know three times the rating of persimmon. It's at its 10-year high, and the builders are all 15, 20, 30% mm. below. Um, so, and there's some shockers here as well, rather like uh, the Astras and the Rolls of the world. There are a couple of um, uh, shockers here. Stocks on very high PEs, presumably considered, I think they're considered moat stocks. We've talked about moat stocks before. So uh, Crowder's on 25 times earnings. 10-year growth rate is great, 22% a year, but last five years, that's only been 7%. And the market, as I say, is 12 13%. So the growth rate has slowed dramatically. We're still paying 25 times earnings. I think its investors are eager to own what they think is a quality company. Quality moat company. But earnings growth has slowed a lot. Same with Intertech. Similar multiple, 26 times. Again, earnings growth has slowed to 7% in the last five years. So I think it's important to know know, what the growth is, what the actual growth rate is of what you're buying. And the less people are forecasting suddenly a big increase in these earnings. You know, 25, 26 is quite punchy for something that's only growing at 7% a year. Yeah, so I, I feel as if you've accused me, Laura, of being the, the sort of the delivering bad news week in, week out on the podcast. I feel I've passed this, <laughs> passed the, um, the trophy to Ian now, so I, I'm going to be nothing but good news from now on. Yeah. Sunshine Dan, yes. we'll call you. <laughs> and so finally this week, we usually try to avoid all talk of football on the podcast and I think we're pretty successful at that but Dan you have managed to squeeze it in this week so there's a weird investment this week where you invest in a football club and then you get a bonus if they win (laughs) tell me more I'm going to invest I always think that if if you think if if I gave this sort of proposition like I've got this great idea do you want to invest in it it's a company who pays its staff so much money, ridiculous amounts of money, and all the earnings are entirely unpredictable. Would you yeah. like to take part? So I'm course, signing uh, up. My checkbook yeah. is out. <laughs> and of course, yeah. anyway, that, when you put it like that, <laughs> so that's anyway, that's a good way to describe football from yeah, an investment really, perspective. Really um, and you know, Stephen if Stevenage FC come out saying that we'd like to raise 1.2 million pounds by offering you the chance to invest in shares in the football club. Now, these don't trade on a stock market. Um, so immediately that means when you, if you were to buy them and wanted to sell, um, there is no normal mechanism for you to, to sort of just say, here you go, I'll just log into my um, ISA, stocks and shares ISA and sell them because it doesn't work like that. You have to find another fan in Stevenage to buy them <laughs> from you. Um, so the, the idea is that normally when you have these sort of football clubs who aren't on the stock market or, or sort of a scheme like this, they sort, it's more like a loan, isn't it? So it's say, um, lend us some money and we'll give you a fixed rate of interest every year and then we'll pay it back to you in X year's time. But with Stevenage, they want to do things a bit different. There's no no interest here at all. There's no guarantee to make any money. But <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. So what they were saying is that they, if they could have all this extra money, they can go off and buy more players or better quality <laughs> ones. Um, and eventually they're, they're aiming to get promoted to a different league. So you'll get 25% dividend if they're promoted to um, League One and an extra 75% dividend if they go into the EFL Championship. 
So essentially, you are betting everything on them being promoted. Of course, that could take a long time, couldn't it? Well, don't underestimate Stevenage FC. Yeah. I think they're quite the behemoth in are the they? football. No, I've no. no idea. I don't even know what league they're in. Yeah. I've no idea about them. And of course, what the chairman, Phil Wallace, has done is by saying that we need £1.2 million. Um, a, a colleague of mine who understands football a little bit better than me no, which is kind of surely everyone, no one does yes, <laughs> said to me well immediately they've made a big mistake because they've revealed their budget so um anyone looking to sort of do some trading with players is, is you know, assuming that stevenage have enough you know raise all their money know that they've got cash to spend and how much they've got to spend and they're just going to ask excessive amounts of money mm. but um, players, yeah. but i reckon this kind of thing would be quite popular if you're a Stevenage fan and you, you've got that pride in supporting your club and you probably think, oh, I could make some money, you probably believe that they are going to get promoted. Maybe I'm making some grand well, assumptions about... Doesn't come from Stevenage? I am, I'm not sure. Well, they should just ask him for the money the then. for the money. Yeah. <laughs> there we are, we've solved the problem. It, Call the chairman, he's we've fixed it. it. But I think something like this shouldn't... It shouldn't they shouldn't sort of pitch it as you know, your chance to invest and get 100% It's not dividend. an investment. No. I think you should see it as a donation with a potential bonus on the it, end of it. Yeah, I think it's more like a crowdfunding. And when you get rewards like, you know, you can have a scarf if you put 50 quid in and stuff like that. You know, or, or you have your name on a bench and stuff. You know, like, oh, I would like that. Yeah. you know, you, you? Where is Stevenage? Am I going to get to see this bench? It's in the United Kingdom. Oh, so. okay, good. Fine, yes. go. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, so I think, yeah, so there's going to be a core... Hardcore of people, fans who who want to support the team, but um, yeah, fair I think enough. To pitch it as an investment in shares, I, you know, I just hope people do read the the, the FAQs the, on their website. Well, I had a good look at them, and they're very good at. In their defence, they're very good at sort of saying, spelling out. Um, yeah, it might be many years before you make any money, if at all. So, I mean, I think fair play to them because compared to some of the crowdfunding schemes I've looked at, which have nothing um, of the sort. You know, you know. Anyway, I wish them the best of luck. Absolutely. Are you investing? Um, no, I'm afraid I spent all my money on pick Jaffa cakes. <laughs> <laughs> Jaffa cakes, yeah. Magic beans. <laughs> yeah. So thanks a lot for listening this week. As ever, send any thoughts or ideas you've got to podcast at ajbell.co.uk. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.